For the Climate Discussion Nexus, I'm John Robson, and welcome to the latest readout video from our Wednesday Wake Up Email newsletter, which as always, we encourage you to subscribe to. And welcome to our assessment of the United States Supreme Court's controversial ruling that, no, not that one. The one that said the U.S. executive branch, specifically its Environmental Protection Agency, had exceeded its authority in issuing what the New York Times Climate Forward called, quote, broad, aggressive regulations on climate warming pollution from power plants that would force many of those plants to close, end quote. Nature magazine, which you maybe thought was a science journal, went mental, hollering, quote, U.S. Supreme Court hobbles the EPA's authority over climate emissions, legal ruling limits the environmental agency's regulatory powers, hamstringing Biden's climate plan, end quote. Except the point of the ruling was that the EPA has no authority or powers other than those that Congress has delegated to it. And thus far, the People's Houses, the House of Representatives in the Senate, haven't authorized it to control greenhouse gases. But if critics of the ruling are right that there's broad popular support for such measures, then it will be simple for Congress or state legislatures to impose them. So why the need for the EPA to bypass voters? And if there isn't such broad support, how is it legitimate to bypass voters and impose them anyway? In the newsletter, we also note that if you'd been planning an Independence Day visit to Montana's Glacier National Park, alas, the weather did not cooperate. Oh no, we hear voices cry. That blasted global warming melted the glaciers. Wah, wah, wah. But actually, the story said, quote, visitors to Glacier National Park won't be able to cruise going to the Sun Road for the July 4th weekend this year. Park officials say that's thanks to unprecedented winter and late spring snowstorms, end quote. And yes, this is the same Glacier National Park in Montana that put up signs warning that the glaciers would be gone by 2020, and instead it was the signs that were gone by 2020. They were hastily removed in 2019, although CNN found a way to insist that, despite not vanishing, the glaciers were still vanishing. Whereas, in fact, they were growing. And here's something else that's not cooperating with alarmism. Quote, satellite data, coolest monthly tropics temperature in over 10 years, end quote. Yep, the spot where all the models agree that the impact of global warming will show up fastest and strongest is cooling. And the result of that situation, or the meaning of that statement, is that in many places in the world, it's not getting any warmer, and it may even be getting colder. Meanwhile, in Canada, where regulations are a law unto themselves, the federal government's promised clean fuel standard will arrive later and hit harder or something. It was first promised in 2016 and was meant to reduce GHG emissions by 30 million tons by 2030, which wouldn't help much even if it did happen. But the original plan to have a draft by spring 2020 turned into delivery in December 2021 of rules meant to take effect a year later but now to kick in in December 2023. So that gives you some sense of the urgency they really feel in Ottawa. Oh, and the climate crisis is so urgent and overwhelming that kerosene, jet fuel, and fuel oil won't count. Which will relieve our Prime Minister, a.k.a. Captain Carbon, as he contrails around the world saving us from everything except public sector smug incompetence, including making hardship visits to Bali, Bangkok, and Jerba. Never Sudbury or East St. Louis, though, I can't help noticing. But if the alarmists really believe their own rhetoric about how scientists say emissions need to fall immediately and that 2024 is way too late, this sort of sauntering into action is hypocritical as well as feeble. Although, to be fair, the policy will, of course, raise the cost of living, especially for the poor, exactly as its architects didn't intend. Now, one thing that frustrates climate alarmists is that polls routinely show overwhelming support for action on global warming, but nothing satisfactory to them ever happens. And 
One reason is that policy initiatives built on bad science and bad economics cannot deliver results, no matter how many people wish fervently that they would. The other problem is that polls notoriously fail to measure the intensity or even the sincerity of people's views. So when, for instance, a third of Britons making purchases on the installment plan say they can't meet their weekly bills, any proposal with the intention or effect of raising the price of essentials will actually make them balk even if they claim to have a poster of Greta Thunberg in their living room. And, as the National Post just noted, quote, a new wide-ranging poll by Michael Ashcroft, a former deputy chairman of the UK Conservative Party, took the time to interview 10,096 Canadians about their hopes, dreams, fears, and prejudices. Poll respondents were asked to name the most important issues facing Canada today. Every single demographic group put cost of living in a commanding first place, with 55% picking it as one of their top three issues. And this was despite ample disagreement over all the other issues. So... Guess where they rank policies that deliberately increase the cost of living, including climate policies? Right. As the Post story adds, quote, Climate change also ranked pretty high as a national threat. Although the issue failed to chart among Conservative and PPC voters, it scored a number one spot among Liberals and NEP and Bloc Québécois voters. But concern over a warming climate seems to magically disappear when that same poll respondent is gassing up their SUV. Voters for every single party lent majority support to the idea that Canada should use its natural resources to reduce energy costs for Canadians. Basically, that we should pump as much oil as possible to bring down fuel costs. That keep it in the ground camp, meanwhile, only managed 35% support, end quote. Now, news agencies may still trumpet, quote, thousands march in Munich to demand G7 action on poverty and climate, end quote, as if the two went together instead of conflicting. But, however addled this relative handful of chronically discontented people may be, when there's a conflict between action on poverty and on climate, if by the latter you mean making energy too expensive for poor people, it's certainly one on which poor people know where they stand. As the Manhattan contrarian recently smirked on his fair forays into, quote, what the cool young people are saying, and quote, worldview of BuzzFeed millennial readers, quote, the same people who've been haranguing us for years for not doing enough to end our dependence on fossil fuels, the same ones who cheered the shutdown of the Keystone Pipeline, now can't believe the prices they must pay for gas, end quote. And now, a word from our sponsor. And yes, it's still you. And we want to thank all the people who've responded to our appeals by making a one-time or monthly pledge. For the rest of you, I really want to emphasize, for us to produce the videos, for us to produce the newsletters, and keep injecting sanity into the climate debate, what we need is for one in six of our YouTube subscribers to click here and make a pledge of $2 a month, $3 a month, $5 a month. That's what it's going to take to sustain our efforts for as long as they're needed. So click here, cup of coffee a month, that'll keep us in business. And now, back to me. Clearly, there are so many silly things said about climate that it's hard to keep up. But we do have to extend special recognition to Ireland's president, Michael Higgins, for exploiting a slaughter to advance the alarmist agenda with a statement as brainless as it was heartless that an Islamist massacre of Christians at prayer in Nigeria was due to climate change. Quote, that such an attack was made in a place of worship is a source of particular condemnation, as is any attempt to scapegoat pastoral peoples who are among the foremost victims of the consequences of climate change. The solidarity of all of us as peoples of the world is owed to all those impacted, not only by this horrible event, but in the struggle by the most vulnerable on whom the consequences of climate change have been inflicted. End quote. 
Faced with indignation, particularly from Roman Catholic Bishop of Ondo Diocese Jude Iodeji Arugandade, as well as Irish Christians, the president further disgraced himself by having a spokesperson lie that, quote, the president made no link in his statement between climate change and the attack itself, end quote. Both the initial statement and the subsequent lie rub salt into the wounds of survivors and insult the memory of the victims. Elsewhere, the state of policymaking nowadays is so bad that The Economist recently said the plan to keep the lights on in Europe this winter is as follows, quote, Europe so far has been unlucky in its energy war with Russia. If it is to keep the lights on until the spring, that needs to change, end quote. Luck isn't a plan. Though, even so, it beats what the planners do have in mind, namely a loopy scheme from the G7 to try to cap global energy prices what the New York Times called, quote, an aggressive but untried plan to manipulate the price of oil, the largest commodity market in the world, end quote. Apparently, the idea is that Russia will keep selling oil while respecting the rule about it not making a lot of money on it. Nobody will cheat, and price controls won't cause shortages. This time. If, that is, we have enough luck that the rules of economics finally go away just in time for this venture. We also bring you news from underground. Specifically, it turns out that the methane release from thawing permafrost will be worse than expected. Uh, worse, that is, for the alarmists who love having scary stories to run on the nightly news, but better for everyone else. Scientists in Sweden looked at this idea that, as northern grasslands warm, microbes in the soil will begin feasting on organic matter and burping out great planet incinerating gusts of CH4. When they examined actual facts, they found that once the process gets going, there is an initial increase in methane, but then other microbes start feasting on that methane because nature abhors a vacuum, and once again, you get a self-stabilizing mechanism, not a runaway greenhouse effect. Which may help explain why past warming periods didn't cross tipping points and roast the place, including because of this permafrost methane thing. In the newsletter, we also continue our CDN by the Sea tour, in which we don't actually go to the places we highlight. We just get the data from the permanent service for mean sea level in the UK. But if we did go, and if air travel weren't as messed up as it's become, especially in Canada, we'd be tempted to return to Greece, specifically the eastern region near Turkey, to a place called Alexandropolis, where the sea level is drifting up at about 2.8 millimeters a year, so it'll take about 360 years to rise by one meter plenty of time to soak up the sun and take in the sights. Meanwhile, CO2Science.org helps us do a bit of travel in time as well as space, back to the eastern Mediterranean, but this time, boy that time, to the Roman warm period from around 200 BC to 400 AD, looking at, quote, a dinoflagellate cyst record from a well-dated site in the Gulf of Taranto, located at the distal end of the Po River discharge plume, end quote, they found that it was probably slightly warmer than today, so modern conditions are not unprecedented. On that note, for CDN, I'm John Robson, and I say, well, a